Chapter 3 of the Book of Buried Treasure. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Book of Buried Treasure by Ralph Delahay Payne. Chapter 3 Captain Kidd is Treasure. Your captain's brave and bold, hear our cries, hear our cries. Your captain's brave and bold, hear our cries. Your captain's brave and bold, though your seamen controlled. Don't for the sake of gold lose your souls, lose your souls. Don't for the sake of gold lose your souls. From the Old Kid Ballad The negotiations between Kid and the Earl of Bellamont were no more creditable to the royal governor than to the alleged pirate. Already the noble partners in England were bombarded with awkward questions concerning the luckless enterprise, and Bellamont, anxious to clear himself and his friends, was for getting hold of Kidd and putting him in Boston jail at the earliest possible moment. He dared not reveal the true status of affairs to Kidd by means of correspondence, lest that wary bird escape him, and he therefore tried to coax him nearer in a letter sent back in care of Emmett, that experienced legal adviser of pirates in distress, this letter of Bellamont was dated June 19, 1699, and had this to say. Captain Kidd, Mr. Emmett came to me last Tuesday night late, telling me he came from you. I was shy of telling me where he parted with you, nor did I press him to it. He told me you came to Oyster Bay in Nassau Island and sent for him to New York. He proposed to me from you that I would grant you a pardon. I answered that I had never granted one yet, and that I had set myself a safe rule not to grant a pardon to anybody whatsoever without the king's express leave or command. You told me you declared and protested your innocence, and that if your men could be persuaded to follow your example, you would make no manner of scruple of coming to this port or any other within Her Majesty's dominions, that you owned there were two ships taken, but that your men did it violently against your will and has used you barbarously in imprisoning you and treating you ill most part of the voyage, and often attempting to murder you. Mr. Emmett delivered me two French passes taken on board the two ships which your men rifled, which passes I have in my custody, and I am apt to believe they will be a good article to justify you, if the peace were not, by the treaty between England and France, to operate in that part of the world at the time the hostility was committed, as I almost confident it was not to do. Mr. Emmett also told me that you had to about the value of ten thousand pounds in the sloop with you, and that you had left the ship somewhere off the coast of Hispaniola, in which there was to the value of thirty thousand pounds more, which you had left in safe hands, and had promised to go to your people in that ship within three months to fetch them with you to a safe harbor. These are all the material particulars I can recollect that passed between Mr. Emmett and me, only this, that you showed a great sense of honor and justice in professing with many asservations your settled and serious design all along to do honor to your commission, and never to do the least thing contrary to your duty and allegiance to the king. And this I have to say in your defense, that several persons at New York, who I can bring to evidence it, if there be occasion, did tell me that by several advices from Madagascar and that part of the world, they were informed of your men revolting from you in one place, which I am pretty sure, they said, was at Madagascar, and that others of them compelled you much against your will to take and rifle two ships. I have advised with His Majesty's Council and showed them this letter this afternoon, and they are of opinion that if your case be so clear as you, or Mr. Emmett for you, have said, that you may safely come hither, and be equipped and fitted out to go and fetch the other ship, I make no manner of doubt but to obtain the king's pardon for you and those few men you have left, who I understand have been faithful to you and refused as well as you to dishonor the commission you had from England. I assure you on my word and on my honor, I will perform nicely what I have now promised. For this I declare beforehand that whatever treasure of goods you bring hither, I will not meddle the least bit of them. They shall be left with such trusty persons as the council will advise until they receive orders from England how they shall be disposed of. Mr. Campbell will satisfy you that this that I have now written is the sense of the council and of your humble servant. Not signed but endorsed, a true copy, Bellamont. These were fair words, but not as sincere as might have been. Governor Bellamont was anxious to lay hands on Kidd by fair means or foul, and in the light of subsequent events this letter appears as a disingenuous decoy. 
He was carried back to Narragansett Bay by Emmett, and with him Bellamont sent one Duncan Campbell, postmaster of Boston, as an authorized agent to advance the negotiations. Campbell was a Scotchman who had been a friend of Kidd. He is mentioned in John Dutton's letter written from New England, A.D. 1686. I rambled to the Scotch bookseller, one Campbell. He is a brisk young fellow that dresses all a mode and sets himself off to the best advantage, and yet thrives as pace. I am told, and for his sake I wish it may be true, that a young lady of great fortune is married in. In reply to Belmont's letter, thus delivered, Captain Kidd replied as follows. From Black Island Road, on board the sloop San Antonio, June 24, 1699. May it please your excellency. I am honored with your lordship's kind letter of ye 19th, current by Mr. Campbell, which came into my hands this day, for which I return my most hearty thanks. I cannot but blame myself for not writing to your lordship before this time, knowing it was my duty, but the clamorous and false stories that have been reported to me made me fearful of writing or coming into any harbor till I could hear from your lordship. I note the contents of your lordship's letter as to what Mr. Emmett and Mr. Campbell informed your lordship of my proceedings. I do affirm it to be true, and a great deal more may be said of the abuses of my men and the hardships I have undergone to preserve the ship and what goods my men had left. Ninety-five men went away from me in one day and went on board the Mocha frigate, Captain Robert Culliver, commander, who went away to the Red Seas and committed several acts of piracy, as I am informed, and am afraid that because of the men formerly belonging to my galley, the report has gone home against me to the East India Company. A sheet of paper will not contain what may be said of the care I took to preserve the owner's interest and to come home to clear up my own innocency. I do further declare and protest that I never did in the least act contrary to the King's Commission, nor to the reputation of my honorable owners, and doubt not but I shall be able to make my innocency appear, or else I had no need to come to these parts of the world, for were not for that and my owner's interest. There is five or six passengers that came from Madagascar to assist me in bringing the ship home, and about ten of my own men that came with me would not venture to go into Boston till Mr. Campbell had engaged body for body for them, that they should not be molested while I stayed at Boston, or till I returned with the ship. I doubt not, but your lordship will write to England in my favor, and for these few men that are left. I wish your lordship would persuade Mr. Campbell to go home to England with your lordship's letters. We'll be able to give account of our affairs and diligently forward the same, that there may be speedy answer from England. I desired Mr. Campbell to buy a thousand weight of rigging for the fitting of the ship to bring her to Boston, that it might not be delayed when I come there, upon receiving your lordship's letter and making the best of my way for Boston. This with my humble duty, your lordship, and the countess is what offers from. My lord, your excellency's most humble and dutiful servant, William Kidd. Notwithstanding these expressions of confidence, Kidd suspected Bellamont's intentions and decided to leave his treasure in safe hands instead of carrying it to Boston with him. Now follows the documentary narrative of the only authenticated buried treasure of Captain Kidd and the proofs that he had no other booty of any account. At the eastern end of Long Island Sound is a beautiful wooded island of 3,000 acres, which has been owned by the Gardiner family as a manor since the first of them, Lionel Gardiner, obtained a royal grant almost three centuries ago. In June of 1699, John Gardiner, third of the line of proprietors, sighted a strange sloop anchored in his island harbor, rode out to make the acquaintance of Captain William Kidd, who had crossed from Narragansett Bay in the San Antonio. What happened between them and how the treasure was buried and dug up is told in the official testimony of John Gardiner, dated July 17, 1699. The narrative of John Gardiner of Gardiner Island, alias Isle of Wight, relating Captain William Kidd. That about twenty days ago, Mr. Emmett of New York came to the narrator's house and desired a boat to go to New York, telling the narrator he came from my lord at Boston, whereupon the narrator furnished Mr. Emmett with a boat, and he went for New York, and that evening the narrator saw a sloop with six guns riding an anchor off Gardner's Island, and two days afterward, in the evening, the narrator went on board said sloop to inquire what she was. And so as soon as he came on board, Captain Kidd, then unknown to the narrator, asked him how himself and family did, telling him that he, the said kid, was going to my lord at Boston, and desired the narrator to carry three negroes, two boys and a girl ashore, to keep till he, the said kid, or his order should call for them, which the narrator accordingly did. Then about two hours after the narrator got the said negroes ashore, Captain Kidd sent his boat ashore with two bells of goods and a negro boy, 
And the morning after, said Kid desired the narrator to come immediately on board and bring six sheep with him for his voyage to Boston, which the narrator did. Kid asked him to spare a barrel of cider, which the narrator with great importunity consented to, and sent two of his men for it, who brought the cider on board, said Sloop. Whilst the men were gone for the cider, Captain Kidd offered the narrator several pieces of damnified muslin and a bangle as a present to his wife, which the said kid put in a bag and gave the narrator. And about a quarter of an hour afterwards, the said kid took up two or three more pieces of damnified muslin and gave the narrator for his proper use. And the narrator's men then, coming on board with said barrel of cider as aforesaid, kid gave them a piece of Arabian gold for their trouble and also for bringing him word. Then the said kid, ready to sail, told this narrator he would pay him for the cider, to which the narrator answered that he was already satisfied for it by the present made to his wife. And it was observed that some of Kid's men gave the narrator's men some inconsiderable things of small value, which were muslins for neckcloths. And then the narrator took leave of the said kid and went ashore, and at parting the said kid fired four guns and stood for Black Island. About three days afterwards, said kid sent the master of the sloop and one clerk in his boat for the narrator, went on board with them, and the said kid desired him to take ashore with him and keep for him a chest and a box of gold and a bundle of quilts and four bales of goods, which box of gold the said kid told the narrator was intended for my lord. And the narrator complied with the request and took on shore the said chest, box of gold, quilts, and bales goods. And the narrator further saith that two of Kid's crew, who went by the names of Cook and Parrot, delivered to him, the narrator, two bags of silver, which they said weighed thirty pounds weight, for which he gave receipt. And then another of Kid's men delivered to the narrator a small bundle of gold and gold dust of about a pound weight to keep for him, and did present the narrator with a sash and a pair of worsted stockings. And just before the sloop sailed, Captain Kid presented the narrator with a bag of sugar, and then took leave and sailed for Boston. And the narrator first saith he knew nothing of Kid's being proclaimed a pirate, and if he had, he durst not have acted otherwise than he had done, having no force to oppose them, and for that he hath formerly been threatened to be killed by privateers if he should carry unkindly to them. The within-named narrator further saith that while Captain Kidd lay with his sloop at Gardner's Island, there was a New York sloop, where one Coster his master, and his mate was a little black man, unknown by name, who, as it was said, had been formerly Captain Kidd's quartermaster, and another sloop belonging to New York, Jacob Fenwick, master, both which lay near Kidd's sloop three days together. And whilst the narrator was on board with Captain Kidd, there were several bales of goods put on board the other two sloops aforesaid, and said two sloops sailed up the sound. After which Kid sailed with his sloop for Black Island, and being absent by the space of three days, returned to Gardner's Island again, company of another sloop belonging to New York, Cornelius Quick, master on board, of which were one Thomas Clark of Setauket, commonly called Whisking Clark, one Harrison of Jamaica, father to a boy that was with Captain Kidd, and Captain Kidd's wife was then on board, his own sloop. And Quick remained with his sloop there from noon to the evening of the same day, and took on board two chests that came out of Kid's sloop under the observance of this narrator, and he believed several goods more, and then sailed up sound. Kid remained there with his sloop until next morning, and then set sail, intending, as he said, for Boston. Further, the narrator saith that the next day after Quick sailed with his sloop from Gardner's Island, he saw him turning out of a bay called Oyster Pan Bay, although the wind was all the time fair to carry him up sound. The narrator supposes he went in thither to land some goods. John Gardner, Boston, July 17, 1699. Narrator John Gardner, under oath, before His Excellency and Council, unto the truth of his narrative in this sheet of paper. Addington, Secretary. This heartless recital has every earmark of truth, and it was confirmed in detail by other witnesses in later events. Before we fall to digging up the treasure of a gardener's island, carried ashore in the chest and box of gold, it is well to follow those other goods which were carried away in the sloops, about which so much has been said by John Gardner. No more is heard of that alluring figure, the little black man unknown by name, who, as it was said, had been formerly Captain Kidd's quartermaster, but Whisking Clark was duly overhauled. All of the plunder transferred from Kid's sloop to those other craft was consigned to him, and some of it was put ashore at Stamford, Connecticut, in charge of a Major Selleck, who had a warehouse hard by the sound. Clark was arrested by order of Bellamont, and gave a bond of twelve thousand pounds that he would deliver up all to the government. This he did, without doubt, but legend has been busy with this enterprising whisking Clark. In the Connecticut River, off the upper end of the Pine Meadow, near Northfield, Massachusetts, 
is Clark's Island, which was granted by the town to William Clark in 1686 and confirmed to his heirs in 1723. It then contained ten and three-fourths acres and was a secluded spot, well covered with trees. Later, what with cutting off the woods and the work of the freshets, a large part of the island was washed away. It was here, tradition has it, that some of Kid's treasure was hidden by whisking Clark. The local story is that Kid and his men ascended the river, though how they got over the series of falls is not explained, and made a landing at Clark's Island. Here, having placed the chest in a hole, they sacrificed by lot one of their number and laid his body on top of the treasure in order that his ghost might forever defend it from fortune seekers. One Abner Field, after consulting a conjurer who showed him precisely where the chest was buried, resolved to risk a tussle with the pirate's ghost, and with two friends waited in fear and trembling for the auspicious time when the moon should be directly overhead at midnight. They were to work in silence, and to pray that no cock should crow within earshot and break the spell. At length one of them raised his crowbar for a mighty stroke, down a wit, and clanked against metal. You've hit it, cried another, and alas, incidentally the chest sank out of reach, and the ghost appeared, and very angry it was. A moment later, the devil himself popped from under the bank, ripped across the island like a tornado, and plunged into the river with a prodigious hissing splash. The treasure hunters flew for home, and told their tale, but village rumor whispered it about, and when Oliver Smith and the Confederate had impersonated the ghost and the energetic evil one, on October 20th, 1699, Bellamont wrote in a letter to England. I have prevailed with Governor Winthrop of Connecticut to seize and send Thomas Clark of New York prisoner hither. He has been on board Kidd's sloop at the east end of Long Island and carried off to the value of about 5,000 pounds in goods and treasure that we know of and perhaps a great deal more into Connecticut colony and thinking himself safe from under our power, writ my lieutenant governor of New York a very saucy letter and bade us defiance. I have ordered him to be safely kept prisoner in the fort, because the jail of New York is weak and insufficient, and when orders come to me to send Kidd and his men to England, which I long for impatiently, I will also send Clark as an associate of Kidd. Three days later, the lieutenant governor of New York wrote Bellamont as follows. Clark proffers twelve thousand pounds good security, and will on oath deliver up all the goods he hath been entrusted with from Kidd, provided he may go and fetch them himself but says he will rather die or be undone than to bring his friends into a predicament. I told him if he would let me know where I might secure these goods or bullion, I would recommend his case to your lordship's favor. He answered, "'Twas impossible to recover anything until he went himself. After leaving the bulk of his treasure on Gardner's Island, Kidd received another friendly message from Lord Belmont, and was by now persuaded that he could go to Boston without danger." With his wife on board his sloop, and she stood by him staunchly, he laid a course around Cape Cod and made port on the first day of July. Captain and Mrs. William Kidd found lodgings in the house of their friend, Duncan Campbell, and he walked unmolested for a week, passing some of the time in the Blue Anchor Tavern. Being a very resolute fellow, wrote Hutchinson, when the officer arrested him in his lodgings, he attempted to draw a sword, but a young gentleman who accompanied the officer, laying hold of his arm, prevented him, and he submitted. In the letters of Lord Bellamont to the lords of plantations and colonies are fully related the particulars of Kidd's downfall and of the finding of his treasure. On July 26, he stated, My lords, I gave your lordships a short account of my taking Captain Kidd in my letter of the 8th instant. I shall in this letter confine myself wholly to an account of my proceedings with him. On the 13th of last month, Mr. Emmett, a lawyer of New York, came to me late at night and told me he came from Captain Kidd, who was on the coast with a sloop, but would not tell me where. The kid had brought 60 pounds weight of gold, about 100 weight of silver, and 17 bales of East India goods, which was less by 24 bales than we have since got out of the sloop. The kid had left behind him a great ship near the coast of Hispaniola that nobody but himself could find out, on board whereof there were in bale goods, saltpeter, and other things to the value of at least 30,000 pounds, that if I would give him a pardon, he would bring in the sloop and goods hither and fetch his great ship and goods afterwards. Mr. Emmett delivered me that night two French passes which Kidd took on board the two Moors ships which were taken by him in the seas of India, or as he alleged by his men against his will. One of the passes wants a date in the original, as in the copy I sent your lordships, and they go number one and number two. 
On the said 19th of June, as I sat in council, I wrote a letter to Captain Kidd and showed it to the council. They approved of it. I dispatched Mr. Campbell again to Kidd with my said letter, a copy of Whereof Goes, number four. Your lordships may observe that the promise I made Captain Kidd in my said letter of kind reception and procuring the king's pardon for him is conditional. That is, provided he were as innocent as he pretended to be. But I quickly found sufficient cause to suspect him very guilty by the many lies and contradictions he told me. I was so much upon my guard with Kidd that he arriving here on Saturday of this month, I would not see him but before witnesses, nor have I ever seen him but in council twice or thrice that we examined him, and the day he was taken up by the constable. It happened to be by the door of my lodgings, and he rushed in and came rushing to me, constable after him. I had him not seized till Thursday, the sixth instant, for I had a mind to discover where he had left the great ship, and I thought myself secure enough from his running away because I took care not to give him the least umbrage or design of seizing him. Nor had I till that day that I produced my orders from court for apprehending, communicated them to anybody, and I found it necessary to show my order to the council to animate them to join heartily with me in securing Kid and examining his affairs nicely, discover what we could of his behavior in his whole voyage. Another reason why I took him up no sooner was that he had brought his wife and children hither in his sloop with him, who I believed he would not easily forsake. He being examined twice or thrice by me in the council, and also some of his men, I observed he seemed much disturbed, and the last time we examined him I fancied he looked as if he were upon the wing and resolved to run away, and the gentlemen of the council had some of them, and the same thought with mine, so that I took their consent in seizing and committing him. But the officers appointed to seize his men were so careless as to let three or four of his men escape, which troubled me the more, because they were old New York pirates. The next thing the council and I did was to appoint a committee of trusty persons to search for the goods and treasure brought by Kidd and secure what they should find, till the king's pleasure should be known as to the disposition thereof, as my orders from Mr. Secretary Vernon Port. The said committee were made up of two gentlemen of the council, two merchants, and a deputy collector, whose names are to the enclosed inventory of the goods and treasure. They searched Kidd's lodgings, and found Hid and made up in two sea beds a bag of gold dust and ingots of the value of about one thousand pounds and a bag of silver, part money and part pieces of pigs of silver. Value is set down in said inventory. In the above bag of gold were several little bags of gold. All particulars are very justly and exactly set down in the inventory. For my part, I have meddled with no matter of thing under the management of the council and in the custody of the aforementioned committee, that it might be free from the suspicion censure of the world. The enamel box mentioned in the beginning of the inventory is that which Kidd made a present of to my wife by Mr. Campbell, which I delivered in council to the said committee to keep with the rest of the treasure. There was in it a stone ring, which we take to be a Bristol stone. If it was true, it would be worth about forty pounds, and there was a small stone on set which we believe is also counterfeit, and a sort of locket with four sparks, which seems to be right diamonds, where there's nobody that understands jewels. Box and all that's in were right. They cannot be worth above sixty pounds. Your lordships will see in the middle of the inventory a parcel of treasure and jewels delivered up by Mr. Gardner of Gardner's Island in the province of New York and at the east end of Nassau Island, the recovery and saving of which treasure is owing to my own care and quickness. I heard by the greatest accident in the world. Today Captain Kidd was committed. Then a man offered thirty pounds for a sloop to carry him to Gardner's Island, and Kidd having owned to burying some gold on that island, though he never mentioned to us any jewels, nor I do I believe he would have owned to the gold there, but he thought he should himself be sent for it. I privately posted away a messenger to Mr. Gardner in the king's name, to come forthwith and deliver up such treasure as Kidd or any of his crew had lodged with him, acquainting him that I had committed Kidd to jail, as I was ordered to do by the king. My messenger made great haste and was with Gardner before anybody, and Gardner, who is a very substantial man, brought away the treasure without delay, and by my direction delivered it into the hands of the committee. If the jewels be right, as tis supposed they are, but I never saw them, nor the gold and silver brought by Gardner, then we guess that the parcel brought by him may be worth gold, silver, and jewels, forty-five hundred pounds. And besides, Kidd had left six bales of goods with him, one of which was twice as big as any of the rest, and Kidd gave him a particular charge of that bale and told him twas worth two thousand pounds. The six bales Gardner could not bring, but I have ordered him to send them by a sloop that has since gone from hence to New York, and which is to return speedily. We are not able to set an exact value on the goods and treasure we have got, because we have not opened the bales we took on board the kid's sloop, but we hope when the six bales are sent in by Gardner, what will be in the hands of the gentleman appointed to that trust will amount to about 14,000 pounds. 
I have sent strict orders to my lieutenant governor at New York to make diligent search for the goods and treasures sent by Kidd to New York in three sloops mentioned in Gardner's affidavit. I have directed him where to find a purchase in a house in New York, which I am apt to believe will be found in that house. I have sent to search elsewhere a certain place strongly suspected to have received another deposition of gold from Kidd. I am also upon the hunt after two or three arch pirates, which I hope to give your lordships a good count of by the next conveyance. If I could have but a good, able judge and attorney general at New York, a man of war there and another here, and the companies recruited and well paid, I will rub pirates and piracy entirely out of this north part of America. But as I have too often told your lordships, tis impossible for me to do all this alone in my single person. I wrote your lordships in my last letter of the 8th instant that Bradish the pirate and one of his crew were escaped out of the jail in this town. We have since found that the jailer was Bradish's kinsman, and the jailer confessed that they went out at the prison door and that he found it wide open. We had all the reason in the world to believe the jailer was consenting to the escape. By much ado, I could get the counsel to resent the jailer's behavior, and by my importunity, I had the fellow before us. We examined him, and by his own story and account given us of his suffering other prisoners formerly to escape, I prevailed to have him turned out and a prosecution ordered against him to the Attorney General. I have also with some difficulty this last session of assembly here got a bill to pass that the jail be committed to the care of the highest sheriff of the county, as in England, with a salary of thirty pounds paid to the said sheriff. I am forced to allow the sheriff forty shillings per week for keeping kids safe, otherwise I should be in some doubt about him. He has without doubt a great deal of gold which is apt to corrupt men that have not principles of honor. I have therefore to try the power of iron against gold, put him into irons that weigh sixteen pounds. Thought it moderate enough, for I remember poor Dr. Gates had a one hundred weight of iron on him while he was a prisoner in the late reign. There never was a greater liar or thief in the world than this kid, notwithstanding he assured the council and me, every time we examined him, that the great ship and her cargo awaited his return to bring her hither. And now your lordships will see by the several informations of masters of ship from Kurokoa that the cargo has been sold there, and in one of them it is said they have burnt that noble ship. And without doubt, it was by Kidd's order that the ship might not be in evidence against him, for he would not own to us that her name was the Kita Merchant, though his men did. Andre signed, and two more brought the first news in New York of the sale of that cargo at Kurokoa, nor was ever such pennyworths heard for cheapness. Captain Everest is he who brought the news of the ship's being burnt. She was about 500 tons, and Kidd told set council that never was there a stronger or stauncher ship seen. His lying had liked to have involved me in a contract that would have been very chargeable and to no manner of purpose. I was advised by the council to dispatch a ship of good condition to go and fetch away that ship and cargo. I had agreed for a ship of 300 tons, 22 guns, and I was to man her with 60 men to force, if there had been need of it. The men to yield, who were left with the ship. I was just going to seal the writing when I bethought myself to where best to press Kid once more to tell me the truth. I therefore sent him two gentlemen of the council to the jail, and he at last owned that he had left a power of attorney with one uh, Henry Bolton, a merchant of Antigua, to whom he had committed the care of the ship to sell and dispose of all the cargo, upon which confession of kids I held my hand from hiring that great ship, which would have cost seventeen hundred pounds by computation, and now tomorrow I send the sloop Kid came in with letters to the lieutenant governor of Antigua. Colonel Yeomans, and to the governors of St. Thomas Island and Kurokoa to seize and secure what effects they can that were late in the possession of Kidd and on board the Quita Merchant. There is one Bert, an Englishman, that lives at St. Thomas, who has got a great store of goods and money for Kidd's account. St. Thomas belongs to the Danes, but I hope to retrieve what Bert has in his hands. The sending to this loop will cost about 300 pounds, if she be out three months. I hope your lordships will take care that immediate yours will be sent to Antigua to secure Bolton, who must have played the knave egregiously, for he cannot but know that Kidd came knavishly by the ship and goods. It is reported that the Dutch at Kurokoa have loaded three sloops with goods and sent them to Holland. Perhaps we're not amiss to send and watch their arrival in Holland, if it be practicable to lay claim to them there. Since my commitment of Kidd, I heard that upon his approach to this port, his heart misgave him, and he proposed to his men putting out to sea again, and going to Caledonia, the new Scotch settlement near Darien, but they refused. I desire I may have orders what to do with Kidd, and all his, and Bradish's crew, for as the law stands in this country, if a pirate were convicted, yet he cannot suffer death, and the council here refused the bill to punish privateers and pirates, which your lordships sent with me from England, with a direction recommended at New York, and here to be passed into a law. 
You will observe by some of the information I now send that Kidd did not only rob the two more ships, but also a Portuguese ship, which he denied absolutely to the Council and me. I send your lordships 24 several papers and evidences relating to Captain Kidd. It is impossible for me to animadvert and make remarks on the several matters contained in the said papers in the weak condition I am at present. My lord Bellamont was in the grip of the gout at this time, which misfortune perhaps increased his irritation towards his partner, Captain William Kidd. In a previous letter to the authorities in London, this royal governor had explained quite frankly that he was trying to lure the troublesome pirate into his clutches, and called Emmett, the lawyer, a cunning Jacobite, fast friend of Fletcher's, and my avowed enemy. He also made this interesting statement. I must not forget to tell your lordships that Campbell brought three or four small jewels to my wife, which I was to know nothing of, but she came quickly and discovered them to me, and asked whether she would keep them, which I advised her to do for the present, for I reflected that my showing an over-nicety might do hurt before I had made a full discovery what goods and treasure were in the sloop. Mr. Livingston also came to me in a peremptory manner and demanded up his bond and the articles which he sealed to me upon Kidd's expedition, and told me that Kidd swore all the oaths in the world that unless I did immediately indemnify Mr. Livingston by giving up his securities, he would never bring in that great ship and cargo. I thought this was such an impertinence in both Kidd and Livingston that it was time for me to look about me and to secure Kidd. I had noticed that he designed my wife a thousand pounds in gold dust and ingots last Thursday. But I spoiled his compliment by ordering him to be arrested and committed that day, showing the council's orders from the court for that purpose. If I had kept Mr. Secretary Vernon's order for seizing and securing Kidd and his associates with all their effects with less secrecy, I had never got him to come in, for his countrymen, Mr. Graham and Livingston, would have been sure to caution him to shift for himself and would have been well paid for their pains. One by one, Kidd's plans for clearing himself were knocked into a cocked hat. His lawyer did him no good. His hope of bribing the Countess of Bellamont with jewels, gold dust and ingots, went wrong, and his buried treasure of Gardner's Island was dug up and confiscated by officers of the Crown. It is regrettable that history, by one of its curious omissions, tells us no more about this titled lady. Did Kidd have reason to suppose that she would take his gifts and try to befriend him? When he was in high favor, she may perchance have admired this dashing shipmaster and privateer as he spun his adventurous yarns in the governor's mansion. He may have jestingly promised to fetch her home jewels and rich silk stuffs of the Indies, filched from pirates. At any rate, she was not to be bought over, and Kidd sat in jail anchored by those sixteen-pound irons, inviting his nails in sullen wrath and disappointment, while a messenger was posting to Gardner's Island with this order from Bellamont to the proprietor. Boston and New England, 8th July, 1699. Mr. Gardner... Having received the king's express orders for seizing and securing the body of Captain Kidd and all his associates, together with all their effects, till I should receive his majesty's royal pleasure how to dispose of the same, I have accordingly secured Captain Kidd in the jail of this town and some of his men. He has been examined by myself and the council, and has confessed, among other things, that he left with you a parcel of gold made up in a box and some other parcels besides all of which I require you in his majesty's name immediately to fetch hither to me, that I may secure them for his majesty's use, and I shall recompense your pains in coming hither. I am your friend and servant, Bellamon. The box and the chest were promptly delivered by honest John Gardner, who had no mind to be mixed in the affairs of the now notorious kid, together with the bales of goods left in his care. This booty was inventoried by order of Bellamont in the Governor's Council, and the original document is photographed herewith, as found in the Public Record Office, London. It possessed a singular interest, because it records and vouches for the only kid treasure ever discovered. Nor are its detailed items a mere dusty catalogue of figures and merchandise. This is a document to gloat over. If one has a spark of imagination, he smacks his lips. Instead of legend and myth, here is a veritable pirate's hoard, exactly as it should be, with its bags of gold, bars of silver, rubies great and small, candlesticks and porringers, diamonds and so on. The inventory contains also other booty found in the course of the treasure hunt, unless the document itself may prove too hard reading. Its contents are transcribed as follows, to convince the most skeptical mind that there was a real kid treasure, and that it was found in the year of our Lord, 1699. Boston, New England, July 25th, 1699. A true account 
of all such gold, silver, jewels, and merchandises in the possession of Captain William Kidd, which had been seized and secured by us, underwriting pursuant to an order from His Excellency, Richard Earl Bellamont, Captain General and Governor-in-Chief, and in and over His Majesty's province of Massachusetts Bay, etc., bearing date, 1699, viz., in Captain William Kidd's box, one bag, 53 silver bars, one bag, 79 bars, and pieces of silver, one bag, 74 bars, silver, one enameled silver box, in which are four diamonds. Set in gold lockets, one diamond loose. One large diamond set in a gold ring. Found in Mr. Duncan Campbell's house. Number one, one bag gold. Two, one bag gold. Three, one handkerchief gold. Four, one bag gold. Five, one bag gold. Six, one bag gold. Seven, one bag gold. Also twenty dollars, one half and one quarter. Pieces of eight. Nine English crowns, one small bar of silver, one small lump of silver, small chain, a small bottle, a coral necklace, one piece white, and one piece checkered silk. Captain William Kidd's chest, two silver boxes, two silver candlesticks, one silver porringer, and some small things of silver. Ruby small and great, sixty-seven. Green stones, too, one large lodestone. Landed from on board the sloop Antonio, Captain William Kidd, late command. Fifty-seven bags of sugar, seventeen pieces of canvas, thirty-eight bales of merchandise. Received from Mr. Duncan Campbell, three bales of merchandise, whereof one had opened, being much damnified by water. Eighty-five pieces of silk, rumals and bengalis, sixty pieces of calicoes and muslins. Received the seventeenth instant of Mr. John Gardner. Number one, one bag dust gold. Two, one bag coin gold, and in it silver. Three, one parcel dust gold. Four, one bag three silver rings and sundry precious stones. One bag of unpolished stones. One piece of crystal and baser stone. Two cornelian rings. Two small agates. Two amethysts, all in the same bag. Five, one bag silver buttons and a lamp. Six, one bag broken silver. Seven, one bag gold bars. Eight, one bag gold bars. Nine, one bag gold dust. Ten one bag silver bars, eleven one bag silver bars. The whole of the gold above mentioned is eleven hundred and eleven ounces. Troy weight. The silver is two thousand three hundred fifty three ounces. The jewels of precious stones weight are seventeen ounces, an ounce and six, stone by tail. The sugar is contained in fifty seven bags. The merchandise is contained in forty one bales. The canvas is seventeen pieces. Sam Sewell. Nathaniel Byfield, Jerome Drummer, Lawrence Hammond, Lieutenant Colonel, Andrew Belcher. Endorsed. Inventory of the gold, silver, jewels, and merchandise late in the possession of Captain William Kidd and seized and secured by order of Earl of Bellamont, 28th of July, 1699. This is an original paper, Bellamont. That famous loop, the San Antonio, was also carefully inventoried, but her contents were for the most part sea gear and rough furnishings, bearing a picturesque entry of Ye Boy Barley Corn, an apprentice seaman who had sailed with Kidd. Robert Livingston has something to say about Kidd's property in his statement under examination, which has been preserved as follows. Robert Livingston, Esquire, being notified to appear before His Excellency in Council this day and sworn to give a true narrative in relation of his knowledge or information of any goods, gold, silver, bullion, or other treasure lately imported by Captain William Kidd, his company and accomplices, or any of them, into this province or any other of His Majesty's provinces, colonies, or territories in America, and by them or any of them embezzled, concealed, conveyed away, or any ways disposed of, saith. That hearing Captain Kidd was coming to these parts to apply himself unto His Excellency, the Earl of Bellamont, the said narrator came directly from Albany, he near his way through the woods to meet the said Kidd here, and to wait upon his lordship. And at his arrival at Boston, Captain Kidd informed him there was on board his sloop, then in port, forty bales of goods and some sugar. And also, he said, he had about eighty pounds weight and plate. The narrator does not remember whether he said this was on board the sloop or not. And further, said Kid said he had forty pound weight in gold, which he hid and secured in some place in the Sound betwixt this and New York, not naming any particular place, which nobody could find but himself. And that all the said goods, gold, plate, and sloop, was for account of the owners of the Adventure Galley, whereof this narrator was one. And upon further discourse, Kid acknowledged that several chests and bundles of goods belonging to the men were taken out of his sloop betwixt this place and New York, and put into other sloops, saying he was forced thereto that his men would otherwise have run the sloop on shore. And he likewise acknowledged that he had given Mr. Duncan Campbell 100 pieces of eight when he was on board his sloop at Rhode Island. 
and he knows no further of any concealment, embezzlement, or disposal made by said kid, his company, or accomplices of any goods, gold, money, or treasure whatsoever, saving that kid did yesterday acknowledge to this narrator that ye gold aforementioned was hid upon Gardner's Island. He believed there was about fifty pounds weight of it, and that in the same box with it there was about three or four hundred pieces of eight and some pieces of plate belonging to his boy Barleycorn and his negro man, which he had gotten by for the men. Also, the said kid gave this narrator a negro boy and another to Mr. Duncan Campbell. There is reproduced herewith the original statement of kid touching this Gardner Island treasure. The document is badly torn and disfigured. The gaps can be supplied from a copy made at that time. Here is what he had to say under oath. Boston, September 4, 1699. Captain William Kidd declareth and saith that in his chest, which he left at Gardner's Island, there were three small bags or more of Jasper Antonio, or Stone of Goa, several pieces of silk stripped with silver and gold cloth of silver, about a bushel of cloves and nutmegs mixed together and strawed up and down, several books of fine white calicoa, several pieces of fine muslins, several pieces more of flowered silk. He does not well remember what further was in it. He had an invoice thereof in his other chest. All that was contained in ye, said chest, was bought by him and some given to him at Madagascar. Nothing thereof was taken in ye ship, Keita Merchant. He esteemed it to be of greater value than all else that he left at Gardner's Island except ye gold and silver. There was neither gold nor silver in ye chest. It was fastened with a padlock and nailed and corded about. Further saith that he left at said Gardner's Island a bundle of nine or ten fine Indian quilts, some of ye silk with fringes and tassels. William Kidd. The Earl of Belmont was as keen as a bloodhound on the son of treasure, and it is improbable that any of the kid plunder escaped his search. He lost no time in the quest of that James Gillum whose chest had been landed in Delaware Bay, and a singularly diverting episode is related by Belmont in one of his written reports to the Council of Trade and Plantations. I gave you an account, October 24th, of my taking Joseph Bradish and Weatherly and writ that I hoped in a little time to be able to send news of my taking James Gillum, the pirate that killed Captain Edgecombe, commander of the Mocha Frigate for the East India Company, and that with his own hand, while the captain was asleep, Gillum is supposed to be the man that encouraged the ship's company to turn pirates, and the ship has ever since been robbing in the Red Sea and seas of India. If I may believe the report of men lately come from Madagascar, she has taken above two million pounds sterling. I have been so lucky as to take James Gillum, and he is now in irons in the jail of this town, and at the same time we seized on Francis Dole, in whose house he was harbored, who proved to be one of his crew. My taking a Gillum was so very accidental, one would believe, there was a strange fatality in the man's stars. On Saturday, 11th instant, late in the evening, I had a letter from Colonel Sanford, judge of the Admiralty Court in Rhode Island, giving me an account that Gillum had been there but was come towards Boston a fortnight before in order to ship himself for some of the islands, Jamaica or Barbados. I was in despair of finding the man. However, I sent for an honest constable I had made use of an apprehending kid and his men, and sent him with Colonel Sanford's messenger search all the inns in town, and at the first inn they found the mare, on which Gillum had rode into town, tied up in the yard. People of the inn reported that the man who brought her hither had alighted off her about a quarter of an hour before, and went away without saying anything. I gave orders to the master of the inn that if anybody came to look after the mare, he should be sure to seize him. Nobody came for her. Next morning I summoned the council, and we published a proclamation wherein I promised a reward of two hundred pieces of eight for the seizing and securing of Gillum, whereupon there was the strictest search made all that day and the next that was ever made in this part of the world. But we would have missed had I not been informed of one Captain Knott as an old pirate and therefore likely to know where Gillum was concealed. I sent for Knott and examined him promising if he would make an ingenious confession, I would not molest him. He seemed much disturbed, but would not confess anything to purpose. I then sent for his wife and examined her an oath apart from her husband. She confessed that one who went by the name of James Kelly had lodged several nights in her house, but for some nights past he lodged, as she believed, in Charleston, across the river. I knew that he, Gillum, went by the name of Kelly. Then I examined Captain Knott again, telling him his wife had been more free and ingenious than him, which made him believe she had told all. And then he told me of Francis Dole in Charlestown, and that he believed that Gillum would be found there. I sent a half a dozen men immediately, and not with them. They beset the house and searched it, and found not the man. Two of the men went through a field behind Dole's house, and met a man in the dark, whom they seized at all adventure, and it happened as oddly as luckily to be Gillum. 
He had been treating two young women some few miles off in the country and was returning at night to his landlord Dole's house. I examined him, but he denied everything. Even that he came with Kid from Madagascar or even saw him in his life. Captain Davis, who came thence with Kid's men, is positive he is the man that he went by his true name Gillum all the while was on the voyage with him. Mr. Campbell, postmaster of this town, whom I sent to treat with Kid, offers to swear this is the man he saw on board Kid's sloop under the name of Gillum. He is the most impudent, hardened villain I ever saw. In searching Captain Knott's house, a small trunk was found with some remnants of East India goods and a letter from Kid's wife to Captain Thomas Payne, an old pirate living on Kanonicut Island in Rhode Island government. He made an affidavit to me when I was in Rhode Island that he had received nothing from Kid's sloop when she lay at anchor there. Yet by Knott's deposition, he was sent with Mrs. Kidd's letter to Payne for 24 ounces of gold, which Kidd accordingly brought, and Mrs. Kidd's injunction to Payne to keep all the rest that was left with him till further notice was a plain indication that there was a good deal of treasure still left behind in Payne's custody. Therefore, I posted away a messenger to Governor Cranston and Colonel Sanford to make strict search of Payne's house before he could have notice. It seems nothing was then found. The pain has since produced 18 ounces, an odd weight of gold, as appears by Governor Cranston's letter on November 25th, and pretends t'was bestowed on him by Kidd, hoping that may pass it as a salve for the oath he has made. I think it is plain he forswore himself. I am of opinion he has a great deal more of Kidd's goods still in his hands, but he is out of my power, and being in that government, I cannot compel him to deliver up the rest. That Edward Davis, Mariner, who came home with Kidd, and who made the statement already quoted concerning Gillum's chest, found himself in trouble with the others of that crew, and the tireless Bellamont refers to him in this fashion. When Captain Kidd was committed to jail, there was also a pirate committed, who was by the name of Captain Davis, that came passenger with Kidd from Madagascar. I suppose him to be that Captain Davis, the Dampier and Wafer speak of, in their printed relations of voyages, for an extraordinarily stout man. But let him be as stout as he will, here he is a prisoner, and shall be forthcoming upon the order I received from England concerning Kidd and his men. When I was at Rhode Island, there was one Palmer, a pirate, that was out upon bail, for they cannot be persuaded there to keep a pirate in jail. They love him too well. He went out with Kidd from London and forsook him at Madagascar to go on board the Mocha frigate, where he was a considerable time, committing several robberies with the rest of the pirates in that ship, and was brought home by Shelley of New York. I asked Governor Cranston how he could answer taking bail for him, when he had received so strict orders from Mr. Secretary Vernon to seize and secure Kidd and his associates with their effects. I desired Colonel Sanford to examine Palmer on oath. I enclose his examination, where your lordships may please to observe that he accuses Kidd of murdering his gunner, which I never heard before. It may be that the old pirate, Thomas Paine, buried a bag of Kidd's gold, but it is much more likely that whatever had been stored with him was turned over to that astute helpmeet, Mr. William Kidd, for whom it has been left in his keeping. As for that most impudent, hardened villain, James Gillum, it is unreasonable to suppose that a sea chest was buried by the friends who took it off his hands in Delaware Bay. Indeed, there was no motive for putting booty underground, when it could be readily disposed of in the open market. Bellamont complained in one of his letters of this same eventful summer, there are about thirty pirates come lately into the east end of Nassau Island, and have a great deal of money with them, but so cherished are they by the inhabitants that not a man among them is taken up. Several of them, I hear, came with Shelley from Madagascar. Mr. Hackshaw, one of the merchants in London that plotted against me, is one of the owners of Shelley's Sloop, and Mr. Delancey, a Frenchman in New York, is another. I hear that Captain Kidd dropped some pirates in that island, Madagascar, Till there be a good judge or two, and an honest active attorney general to prosecute for the king, all my labor to suppress piracy will signify even just nothing. When Fred Phillips' ship and the other two come from Madagascar, which are expected every day, New York will abound with gold. Tis the most beneficial trade that to Madagascar with the pirates that ever was heard of, and I believe there's more got that way than by turning pirates and robbing. I am told this Shelley sold rum, which cost but two shillings per gallon in New York, for fifty shillings in Madagascar, and a pipe of Madeira wine, which cost him nineteen pounds in New York, he sold for three hundred pounds. Strong liquors and gunpowder and ball are to come out of these, they go off there to the best advantage, and those four ships last summer carried thither great quantities of things. There is another authentic glimpse of Kidd and his men, and his spoils, as viewed by Colonel Robert Quarry, judge of the Admiralty Court for the province of Pennsylvania. There has arrived in this government, he reported, about sixty pirates and a ship directly from Madagascar, 
They are part of Kid's gang, and about 20 of them have quitted the ship and are landed in this government. About 16 more are landed at Cape May in the government of West Jersey. The rest of them are still on board the ship at anchor near the Cape, waiting for a sloop from New York to unload her. She's a very rich ship. All her loading is rich East India bale goods to a very great value, besides abundance of money. The captain of the ship is one Shelley of New York, and the ship belongs to merchants of that place. The goods are all purchased from the pirates at Madagascar, which pernicious trade gives encouragement to the pirates to continue in those parts, having a market for all the goods they plunder and rob in the Red Sea and several other parts of East India. Colonel Quarry caught two of these pirates and lodged them in jail at Burlington, New Jersey, and later tucked away two others in Philadelphia jail. From the former, 2,000 pieces of eight were taken, a neat little fortune to show that piracy was a paying business. A few days later, Colonel Quarry got wind of no other than Kidd himself, and would have caught him ahead of Bellamont had he been properly supported. He protested indignantly. Since my writing, the enclosed, I have, by the assistance of Colonel Bass, Governor of the Jerseys, apprehended four more of the pirates at Cape May, might have with ease secured all the rest of them, and the ship, too, had this government, Pennsylvania, given me the least aid or assistance. But they would not so much as issue a proclamation. But on the contrary, the people have entertained the pirates, conveyed them from place to place, furnished them with provisions and liquors, given them intelligence, and sheltered them from justice. And now the greater part of them are conveyed away in boats to Rhode Island. All the persons I have employed in searching for and apprehending these pirates are abused and affronted and called enemies of the country for disturbing and hindering honest men, as they are pleased to call the pirates, from bringing their money and settling amongst them. Since my writing this, Captain Kidd has come in this Delaware Bay. He hath been here about ten days. He sends his boat ashore to the Hork Hills, where he is supplied with what he wants, and the people frequently go on board him. He is in a sloop with about forty men with a vast treasure. I hope the express, which I sent to His Excellency, Governor Nicholson, will be in time enough to send the man of war to come up with Kidd. The pirates that I brought this government have the liberty to confine themselves to a tavern, which is what I expected. The six other pirates that are in Burlington are at liberty, for the Quakers there will not suffer the government to send them to jail. Thus, His Majesty may expect to be obeyed in all places where the government is in Quakers' hands. End of chapter 3